The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Pella Neuroth-Taylor, live from Sweden, on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome to the Pella Neuroth-Taylor Show. We are going to talk a little bit about banking today. Uh, we are trying to get assess the truth of everything that's going on in the world. And we're talking to a lot of people who all have their perspectives. And some of these perspectives are kind of radically different, but I think they're all describing the same underlying reality. Um, I don't think any of the hypotheses are wrong. And I think it's possible to sort of have a, a grand unified theory of how the world works if we can combine all these theories. Now, one thing I haven't talked so, about so much is the is the financial aspect the way money rules the world? I've focused on intelligence agencies and politicians, but I think that um, I was I've been listening to a number of uh, interesting podcasts that show that uh, basically uh, the Federal Reserve in the U.S. is at war almost with uh, the Bank of England and the European Central Bank, and this highlights the splits that are actually taking place between uh, these two allies, Europe and America. Um, I mean, this this war between Russia and the West is actually a, a multi-pronged conflict in the sense that uh, Europe and and um, the US are also rivals. And uh, some people on the European side said, well, you blew up Nord Stream so to destroy our economy because they're paying Europeans are paying much more for energy, on top of which austerity policies since 2008. Uh, some believe that it's been imported from America after the subprime crisis have led to much slower growth so our economy which was bigger in 2008 is actually much smaller and uh, while you on your side of the pond have a still growing economy ours in the doldrums added to which migration is not exactly helping um but uh but there is um it, uh, blame get blame goes both ways of course we say you you're printing as many dollars as you can and uh, you're paying for everything without really having to earn it whereas we have to earn our dollars and you're saying americans that uh, well, we're paying for your defense so you can have your cozy little welfare states, you know. So the argument goes goes both ways and you can debate who is screw, screwing the other, if you like. But there's an interesting thing that's going on in the central banks um, because the Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates. And according to uh, one podcaster whom I hope to get on this show, a guy called Tom Luongo, who's been following financial markets for 25 years and talks in very technical languages. So I'm trying to boil it down to its very simplest elements and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's something like this, that uh, the reason why the US is raising interest rates uh, and, and, and these causes are actually discussed in, in, in the sort of cigar rooms of the Upper East Side of New York, where uh, bankers let their hair down and, and discuss what they're really trying to do. It's because the US is trying to claw back control of the dollar from the banks in London who have been manipulating this thing for years. There's something called Euro dollars, uh, which is actually a misnomer because it's actually worldwide dollars. It's basically dollars in circulation outside the United States and which are used to fund all sorts of things. And uh, UK banks have long been in control of this. Uh, it started in the 1960s actually uh, with the, the the fact that the Soviet Union that was selling a lot of gas and uh, oil to Europe even then didn't want to park its dollars in America because they would be confiscated, they feared. So London took care of that. <clears throat> and uh, London had a second lease of life as a, as a city. City of London, of course, is a financial center. It's our Wall Street. <clears throat> and um, um, London, the London banking scene, which had um, 
sort of been in the doldrums with the decline of the British Empire in the 50s, got a new lease of life as, as a centre of global capital and uh, using these uh, euro dollars parked there in, in slightly unethical ways, perhaps to lend to people, uh, you know, it's London, City of London's detractors say it's all because uh, it's, uh, corrupt businessmen and arms dealers and all sorts of unsavory people buy, uh, get loans from London and park their Ill illicit gains in uh, the offshore havens which are under London's jurisdiction, uh, like the British Virgin Islands and the Cayman Islands and, and maybe Gibraltar. And it's all a sort of merry-go-round of corruption and criminality. And uh, the, 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 the fact that these euro dollars are outside US jurisdiction means it doesn't have to pay heed to uh, US restrictions on, on the way uh, the dollars are leveraged. So some kind of crisis was inevitable and it came in 2008, but things are kind of carrying on. London has benefited enormously from this. A lot of my friends went into the city of London and earning huge salaries. But the way that the US is raising interest rates is a sort of way to bring back the dollar to the US and sort of it's like the, these bankers led by Jamie Dimon, I think he's uh, one of the leading US bankers, commercial bankers, is sort of doing a pro-Trump move, a sort of make America great in the commercial banking sector, which uh, precedes uh, the arrival of Trump, uh, the, the nationalist American. And uh, that's a very interesting development because it's, it, uh, we'll talk about it another time, but it harms the European Central Bank and its uh, plans for a digital currency based on uh, very low interest rates. And those low interest rates are being hiked to, to track the US high interest rates. And of course, the city of London. So there's a triangular relationship there that ECB and the Bank of England and then the Federal Reserve and the Federal Reserve, they probably think they're fighting the good fight to bring back, uh, to restore commercial banking to the US and lend to real businesses rather than having the digital currency totalitarianism, which Europe is developing. So we'll track that issue much more closely in future talks. But uh, for more down to earth news, we've got uh, Basil Valentine, our news producer, and we will talk to him after the quick break. This is TNT Radio. Your voice heard here. The government needs to step up and do its job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the show, uh, TNT Radio, Pelanero's Taylor Show, where truth resides. We've got Basil Valentine, our news producer, with some of the day's news. What's cooking, Basil? Well, this is the year of elections, Pelé. As you know, uh, we've got the big one in America, uh, general election in the United Kingdom. And uh, which country am I talking about now? A majority of the angry and disillusioned electorate are predicted to stay away from elections on Friday, viewing the process as a masquerade of democracy intended to give legitimacy to a regime that has failed to deliver on living standards, the environment and personal freedom. Could it be? Well, I'd like to say you could be describing any country in the West. <laughs> but I'm guessing going to drop a surprise on us. Uh, well, the use of the word regime suggests it's one of the West's disfavoured countries. Yes, that's so I'm, right. I'm guessing Iran or something. It is indeed Iran, yes. Uh, the ageing supreme leader, Ali Khamenei, uh, has urged those planning to boycott the vote that it's their patriotic and Islamic duty to elect a new four-year term parliament the 12th since the 1979 revolution, and an 88-seat assembly of experts that will choose the successor to Khamenei in the event of him dying 
during his eight-year term of office. The elections are the first since the woman life freedom protest movement was suppressed, leading the outgoing parliament to back laws restricting internet freedom and new fines for not wearing the hijab. Well, my feeling about Iran is that you're sort of, I mean, I, I was hostile and critical of the is radical Islam and headscarves and all the rest of it. But then they stand out as a sort of uh, model of uh, restraint on the Gaza conflict, you know. And of course, yes. they're opposed by the, by the West. So that earns them some of my sympathy in a way. And um, I always, and I think at least some of um, what, what we call autocratic regimes might be autocratic if even if le left completely alone. But some of their crackdowns come as a result of the fact that we meddle in them all the time. So I know that Syria, for instance, uh, is might be autocratic, but Syrians, I spoke to, said, well, we had a quite a good life. And uh, it, the crackdowns only happened after the West sent in uh, extremists. So, but Iran is much bigger. I don't get. I get. I guess they're not getting much meddling. What What do you think happened in the in the in the that previous round of protests? Was it Western backed? I mean, the West has back, uh, been pre in, intervening in Iran's affairs since the nineteen fifties. Um, the famous well, that's Mossadegh. right. We go. Well, that's right. We go all the way back. He wanted to nationalize the oil, didn't he? So yeah. he had to be overthrown in a CIA backed coup. And frankly, it's been one disaster after another ever since. The Shah was a a despot, basically, was it a potentate, the yeah. peacock throne and all that, you know. Um, and well, I uh, think uh, Khomeini was backed by, by the Western liberals initially, I think, wasn't he? Because he was thought right. to bring a, a sort of a breath of fresh air. And he was backed by the Iranian liberals, I think. And, but, and then Khomeini took power and he killed all the Iranian liberals. So um, be careful who, who you're supportive of liberals, because... Iranians in Sweden say, who are all dissidents of the regime, said the Swedish liberals are, are supporting Islam, Islamists in Sweden, and they will pay the price eventually. Anyway, uh, well, so what's 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 happening? Do you think then? Tell us more. Well, it's just it is ironic how, uh, as you said, it, it, the disillusionment with politics in Iran uh, is exactly the same as it is in the West. I mean, you can talk about the the headscarf business. And yes, it's disappointing that the mm. social conservatism of the uh, Islamic leadership does, you know, impose these restrictions on people. Um, and that, of course, gives the West uh, a flashpoint to focus on and say, look how backward these people are. They don't allow women to go to university or wear their hair down, that sort of thing. So it then becomes easier to demonize them. But uh, the the quote, I thought the quote was uh, hilarious from Moigan Eftekari, the mother of Masa Amini, the girl whose death sparked the protests. She published pictures of her daughter on Instagram and wrote, if voting would change something, they would not allow you to vote. Well, that's something, uh, that's an epithet we often hear said about the West yeah. with the... Uh, I the know. Uniparty uh, in the United States, and uh, to all extents and so, to all intents and purposes, a Uniparty mm. in the United Kingdom as well. Although, yeah. of course, uh, the beauty of our system is that when you have a by-election like the one in Rochdale, a maverick like George Galloway can come along and really upset the apple cart. 
I don't yeah. think. I'll just, we could talk about that in just a sec. I, I, I was uh, going to say a final comment about Iran. I mean, I think that the women are allowed to go to universities. And I think even in Saudi, they are. And uh, just I'm just playing a devil's advocate against my former self, which is extremely Iran critical. I mean, um, the, the young women are pushing the boundaries of what you're allowed to wear all the time. <clears throat> and they're very attractive often. And I mean, Iran, they're incredibly dynamic and successful country. And when they come to Scandinavia, they're one of the most successful immigrant groups. And so the alternative is we, we're going to go in and democratize them with bombs and just de devastate the country for their right not to wear scarves. Well, I think it's best to leave them alone and just fight their battles until they win the scarf battle as well. I mean, it's not beautiful. Yes, exactly. Anyway, well, so what's happening? It's, in, only yeah. the, it's only the lunatic hawks in Washington that want to actually bomb Iran, you know. I mean, I, yeah. I remember talking to you a couple of weeks ago, Pelly, about the uh, imminent threat of uh, a much wider conflagration between Iran and the United States after the uh, Hezbollah groups uh, attacked the American bases in Iraq. Do you remember? Uh, unfortunately, yeah. all that's died down for yeah. the time being. Let's hope it's probably a lot of back channel talks between America and maybe even Russia and China are playing a part. I mean, everyone's trying to rein in their side. So, yes, superpowers uh, are doing now good work in, behind the scenes. Iran maybe. now in BRICS, of course. Iran is yeah. now joining the BRICS. But yeah, no, we had a turn up for the books in uh, in in England last night when the Workers' Party of Great Britain, a tiny party regarded as a fringe group, uh, and uh, its uh, self-styled leader George Galloway, uh, ran on an anti-death ticket. I think that's probably the best mm. way of putting it. Uh, he he campaigned on uh, the Gaza genocide because at least a third of the electorate in Rochdale are Muslims, or at least, mm. uh, if not practicing Muslims, people mm. of uh, West Asian extraction. Uh, right. And he won a thumping majority. And almost as significantly, a local businessman who runs a vehicle repair shop called David Tully, a man with mm. no previous political experience whatsoever, who vowed to be the voice of the people, uh, should he be elected to Westminster? He came second uh, right. with Labour third, Liberal Democrats and Conservatives nowhere. Uh, mm. So it was a real thumb in the eye for the Westminster parties and right. indicative of the desperate need and desire for change amongst the Do you UK. think Starmer's going to have to uh, modify his pro-Israel stance then? It should do. Whether he does or not remains to be seen. I mean, he, you're talking about somebody who's taken large donations from Israel lobbyists. You're talking mm. about somebody who rang the president of Israel before pressuring Lindsay Hoyle, the speaker, into watering down the motion that was put before the House of Commons last week. Uh, you, sorry, do you think that uh, he, he's this... Um, He's a very famous blogger and uh, talk. He has his own uh, Galloway. He's he's a big guy in the Twitter sphere. Do you think he's oh, going to yes. introduce some uh, 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 change the terms of the debate at Westminster quickly because we've only got a minute left? In in as much as one person can, yes, he will say things in the House of Commons that nobody else is prepared to say. So mm. yeah, that we're we're going to have a widening of the uh, opinion and political space. And that can only be good. a good thing.
And of course, we will be uh, following Galloway's comments because they're always, uh, he has, he's the master of soundbite. And if he upsets Westminster and creates some uh, uh, space and intellectual movement there, we're all for it, aren't we? Anyway, uh, Basil, we'll talk to you on Monday. Great to see you. And uh, this is TNT Radio for waiting for our first guest. TNT's Alex Zaharoff Royd. Google's Gemini AI has image generation capabilities, but people have been noticing something remarkable. The images keep on wanting to show what's known as diverse results. So if you ask to see an image of America's founding fathers, uh, who were predominantly a group of white men, people of African-American descent are being shown. I mean, there were uh, black founders, but they, they're not the sort of the standard thing that you think of when you see uh, that in your mind. People also ask for a picture of the Pope and the black man is shown. Another prompt asked for images of German Nazi soldiers from 1943. And while one white man is shown, the next image is of a woman of Asian appearance. And then a man of black appearance is also shown, which simply isn't what you expect to see at all. There's been obviously a huge uproar about this uh, with people naturally accusing Google of being woke and inserting diversity, uh, equity and inclusion everywhere. Talking tech with Alex Zaharoff Wright on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. News Talk Radio listeners are some of the most active and involved listeners of any format. TNT Radio listeners rely on TNT Radio often as their primary source of information. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. Welcome to the show, Trevor Fitzgibbon. You're an award-winning PR strategist and president of Silent Partner Incorporated. You've represented everyone from Julian Assange and members of his U.S. legal team to attorney Stephen Donziger and the government of Ecuador versus Chevron. Now, your presence is very uh, welcome on this show because, of course, we've had the Assange Carnival in London in the last week. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? And uh, did you, were you in attendance? And what are your hopes for the outcome? Well, I I, I was not in attendance. I'm here in the U.S., uh, but there was plenty of support over in London for Julian, and there's plenty of support around the world uh, for London uh, for, for for Julian. Um, we need to make more noise here in the United States if he is to be extradited. Um, essentially, the U.S. government is attempting to Assange so that they can prosecute him for publishing uh, classified documents that were factual. And um, this would be unprecedented if the United States is allowed to, to, to do this. Um, and if, you know, I've said it before, I'll, I'll say it again, if government can prosecute a foreign publisher for publishing factual documents, then no journalist is safe, not here in the United States or not around the world. So it's a it's a massive press freedom case. Uh, Julian has been uh, inhumanely treated, uh, tantamount to torture, as uh, Hans Melsner has, has discussed from the United Nations. Um, it's outrageous what has happened to him. And um, and we need to do everything we can to to free him. Well, okay. I mean, the the U.S. government case says that 
Um, he's not really a journalist because he's a hacker and he solicited the information and he uh, ha hacked it. I mean, he wasn't just the recipient because obviously the US uh, New York Times receives leaks all the time. But he actually helped out uh, Chelsea Manning, who was this sort of whistleblower. And he put adverts on WikiLeaks saying, we want information, which is more than the New York Times does. And then he published such an enormous amount of material, and some of it was unredacted, whereas the New York Times and so on are very careful not to put people in trouble. Um, Julian Assange apparently was one de de devastating quote, I think, from John Burns of the New York Times said that, you know, Assange was gleeful that some of these people who cooperated with the United States were uh, kind of their names were mentioned and they might end up in trouble. This is from uh, John, the John Burns book or an article or something. And then um, there's this idea that um, he uh, is uh, a, uh, yeah. And I'm well, sorry. Well, what do you say to those arguments? Yeah. Well, I think that you're, you're in, in, in all due respect, I, I feel as though you're literally spewing um, Pompeo's talking points on this. Right. Um, I'm just playing Chelsea the devil's Manning, advocate, okay? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, Chelsea Manning, who I represented, uh, I went and met with Chelsea uh, literally every, every weekend, every other weekend at, at Quantico when Manning uh, was, was, you know, after Manning – had been uh, had been arrested. Manning was put in a in a uh, essentially a, a cage and was kept at a Syria black site, a black CIA black site in Syria, before Manning was taken to the United States and and put in uh, an eight by twelve foot cell at Quantico. Um, Manning, if you if you actually you know listen to the facts of that case manning was doing everything that she could to get the information out and and had attempted to go to politico and some other outlets um to 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 get the information out but no one was taking it so manning was the person as i understand who actually appro approached uh wikileaks and julian assange and then was sold out by somebody who was a a, a supposed friend of her hers and Adrian Lamo. So that's the first thing. The second thing um, is that as Glenn Greenwald has, you know, pointed out what what Manning what Manning had done um, or what the US government is attempting to do is to get a blueprint of how to turn journalists into felons um, by using this notion that Julian as a journalist was you know soliciting information for Manning um, in order to to get this information out. Um, you know journalists work with their sources all the time uh, and have historically um, to help them you know to, to 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 get vital information out when it's in the public interest. That's that's what journalism is. So um, the idea that, you know, the, I don't believe these allegations that Assange was attempting to uh, uh, teach Chelsea how to hack or anything. I think right. this is a, a government talking point. Right. I mean, essentially, well, uh, if, mm -hmm. go ahead. No, no. I mean, I think that uh, there's also this argument that um, 
he was passing on passwords, but actually that password to the cables was listed in a in a British uh, newspaper journalist right. book and, and, about and, the WikiLeaks affair. Exactly. You know, Julian did not. I mean, there's actually video footage shot in real time of Julian Assange and Sarah, you know, who worked with Julian, Sarah Harrison, um, calling the Secretary of State and calling the U.S. government, the, the, the Secretary of State Clinton, in a desperate attempt to get the State Department to do what they usually always do in working mm-hmm. with journalists and outlets um, when an outlet wants to uh, work with the State Department so that we could get names redacted. And Julian was doing everything he could in a desperate attempt to have the State Department help because when those names were published, that was not WikiLeaks' fault. That was the fault of a of a Guardian journalist who wrote a book and published the the passcode in the book. I why that journalist is I mean it's that journalist from the Guardian who did that, not Julian Assange. Yeah, I mean Julian it's all, it's was doing everything. Yeah, let me just say Julian was doing everything yeah. he could as WikiLeaks yeah. was to protect yeah. the identities right. of, of, of those people that were, were, were listed. Mm. What I want to talk to you after the break quickly is, I mean, uh, Elon Musk uh, thank, and the new Twitter, as it were, the new X is allowing an enormous amount of free debate about all sorts of things that would never enter the public sphere. So, I mean, isn't the whole Assange thing kind of old hat now? It sounds, it sounds like an old revenge case, or is it even relevant for today? and its chilling effects. We'll talk about that uh, after a quick news break. Uh, thank you very much. We are thank this you. Is TNT Radio. Thanks. I have some even more exciting news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with your TNT headlines. Russian President Vladimir Putin has warned the US and NATO are flirting with nuclear war by floating the idea of sending Western troops into Ukraine. The UN has warned more than half a million people are just one step away from famine in Gaza, with many now surviving off animal feed. And Donald Trump has taken a swipe at Democrats, accusing them of engaging in a dirty disinformation campaign to divert attention away from Joe Biden's cognitive decline. The world has become too absurd to be satirized. The great English writer G.K. Chesterton said that way back in 1911, long before math was considered racist and biological men were allowed to compete against women in sports. One can only imagine what he would say if he were alive today. At the Babylon Bee, where we write satire for a living, we're feeling Chesterton's pain in a big way. Just look at these headlines that were satirical at the time we wrote them. On May 9th, 2017, we ran this headline. Two plus two equals four, insists close-minded bigot. That was a joke, of course. But on August 10th, 2020, the Washington Examiner published this story. Math professor claims equation two plus two equals four reeks of white supremacist patriarchy. On August 13th, 2020, we ran this headline. BLM rioters awarded Nobel Peace Prize. At the time, we thought this was obvious satire. But on January 29th, 2021, this story was published in The Guardian. Black Lives Matter movement nominated for Nobel Peace Prize. On March 25th, 2020, we ran this headline, Pants Sales Plummet as Everyone Working From Home. The very next day, this story appeared in Yahoo Finance. Amid coronavirus, Walmart says it's seeing increased sales of tops, but not bottoms. I could go on. 
our satirical headlines are proving to be prophetic with astonishing regularity. So what does this mean for humor and satire? Well, for one thing, it makes our job much more difficult. You might be surprised to hear that. The crazier reality is, the easier it is to make fun of, right? Actually, it's the opposite. Satire exaggerates the truth to make a point. But when reality is this absurd and extreme views and behavior are commonplace, how do you go a step beyond it? Almost anything we publish now ends up being believable. And much of it ends up actually coming true, as you've just seen. This is exactly what Chesterton was talking about. It's one of the ways the left is killing satire, by turning reality into a parody of itself. There's another, more intentional and insidious way the left is killing satire, and that's through censorship. We published an article a couple of years ago with this over-the-top headline. CNN purchases industrial-sized washing machine to spin news before publication. Believe it or not, Snopes fact-checked this story. I mean, come on, a washing machine? To spin the news? That's an obvious joke. But Snopes fact-checked it and rated it false, as if we'd written a serious story. It used to be that jokes were either funny or not. They made you laugh, or they didn't. But now, in the fact-checking age, we're giving them a truth rating. Jokes are no longer funny, they're false. And false information is dangerous. In response to the Snopes fact-check, Facebook warned us that we'd be demonetized and deplatformed if we continued publishing fake news. It should go without saying that there's a big difference between fake news, which is meant to deceive, and satire, which is meant to entertain and inform through mockery, humor, and irony. But the left benefits by blurring this distinction. If they can successfully lump us in with fake news, then they can shut us down. It's that simple. These fact checks, which often smear us by suggesting we're purposefully misleading people, are nothing more than a creative, conniving way of justifying censorship. But why would anyone want to censor satire? Why is Facebook paying USA Today to write lengthy refutations of our jokes? Yes, they actually do that. Because humor is ultimately a vehicle for truth delivery, and the truth can be offensive. Think about all the things you're not allowed to say anymore, not because they're false, but because they make people uncomfortable. Satire cuts right through the pretense and political correctness to expose uncomfortable truths, and it does so more ruthlessly and effectively than anything else. C.S. Lewis said, good philosophy must exist if for no other reason because bad philosophy needs to be answered. Satire is necessary for the same reason. Satire ridicules bad ideas. And now, more than ever, bad ideas need to be exposed for what they are before they gain an even bigger foothold on our minds and hearts, especially on the minds and hearts of young people. And while good philosophy and rational argumentation are indispensable, it's often humor that's most effective. To quote our friend G.K. Chesterton once more, humor can get in under the door while seriousness is still fumbling at the handle. I'm Seth Dillon. CEO of the Babylon Bee for Prager University. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24 7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth, from government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk this is TNT Radio. Welcome back, Trevor Fitz, 
given to the Pelenero's Taylor show, uh, you work with Assange representing him and his presenting his strategy to the world. And uh, there was this cavalcade last week, of course, in London, and uh, the US lawyers are trying to have him extradited. And you say that the case is essentially bogus because uh, he Assange did it by the book in terms of being a responsible publisher and not publishing the names of the uh, people who were giving information to the US. So he was doing exactly what the New York Times did. Uh, what else can you tell us about the US case that you think is objectionable? I, well, I mean, there, there, there's so much that's objectionable um, with what the government's doing. Uh, in regards to its attempt to prosecute Julian, um, I, you know, I I want to make reference to something that I, I think is important. That's a, a separate case, separate but related. That's happening in the United States. So we have the extradition case that's that's happening in the UK. Here in the United States, uh, a few journalists, American journalists, as well as some of Julian's American attorneys, um, due to uh, the findings and, and what has come out of a Spanish court, as well as uh, some stories that have been written by Michael Lysikoff in, in, in Yahoo News. It has now, uh, now we, ha we have learned that the CIA, uh, under the direction of Mike Pompeo and the Trump administration, had not only been surveilling the, the, the meetings and the conversations that Julian would have with his American attorneys inside the Ecuadorian embassy, where he, you know, supposedly was supposed to be legally protected with asylum law. Um, but when you would go into the Ecuadorian embassy, every time we would go there to meet with Julian, you'd have to turn over your cell phone and your laptop. As it turns out, Pompeo and the CIA, they had replaced the guards and the staff working at the Ecuadorian embassy. So when you turned over your cell phone and your computers, the the CIA was literally wiping those electronic devices of all their data and sending it straight back to Washington, to the, to the CIA and the Trump administration, um, which is unheard of, right? That's unprecedented. It's a violation of the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution. So they have sued the CIA for violating their Fourth Amendment rights. The, the, the CIA tried to get it dismissed. The, the judge said, no, we're going to allow this to move forward. And we'll know in April, about mid-April, whether or not the CIA and the government attorneys here in the U.S. decide to invoke the state secrets privilege clause. And, and if that happens, you know, the case would go away. But there's a good chance that the judge may not allow that to happen and may allow this case to move forward. And so what you have is an extradition happening, right? Simultaneous to this happening. And if it, if it turns out that the judge rules and gives an order that the CIA violated the Fourth Amendment rights yeah. of Julian's American attorneys, it's going to be one of incredible showdowns in world history for a press freedom case. Essentially- So what you're saying is- just to interrupt, sorry. Yeah. E even if Assange loses this thing, uh, the Assange side has another ace up its sleeve, which is to go on the CIA bugging the American lawyers front. So in fact, what you're saying is you do have another possibility to shift the terrain of the arguments. Um, is that correct? Y yes or no? Because we've got to wind up this interview. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 would, I would say yes. 
Yeah. Okay. So, and, and just a, very quickly, when when do you expect uh, the British judges to pronounce on this case whether he's going to be extradited or not? No idea. Any day. I mean, I think they're going to take a little bit. I think they're going to take a little bit more time now because I think that okay. Assange's legal team really gave a great defense regarding press freedom uh, and the yeah. fact that the U.S. government couldn't guarantee that Assange yeah. wouldn't be given the death penalty. Yeah. Anyway, we've got to end there. Thank you, Trevor Fitzgibbon, who represents Assange. And we will have you on again when we know more about Assange. Yeah, very exciting clear, case. Thank I, you. I, thank I, you very much, yeah. Trevor. Thank you. We've got to go into a break now. This is TNT Radio. Weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Mark Marano was certainly a national treasure, at least he is in my opinion. We're blessed to have him here on TNT. Anyway, he runs Climate Depot. And Climate Depot is a great place to go if you want to really take a look at some of the lunacy that's going on here. I warn you, it's probably going to get your blood pressure up. Hey, okay, CNN came out with a blog, How EVs Became Such a Massive Disappointment. Now, one of my favorite movies is Casablanca. And I love the scene at the end where the police captain comes in and claims he's shocked that gambling is going on in this particular joint that was being run by Rick, right? AKA Humphrey Bogart. Well, remember the words, I'm shocked, shocked that this is going on. Well, when I look at this CNN headline, how EVs became such a massive disappointment, I'm shocked, shocked that this is happening. Who wants to buy a car unless you're gonna putter around your house and it's like a glorified golf cart. I should say your neighborhood rather than the house. Who wants to buy that? Its battery is so heavy that it immediately puts excess pressure on the front of the car and your braking system. That's the first thing. Second thing, where are all the parts coming from? How are we making all these batteries? Just how are you going to put up with having to take 40 minutes to charge your car? What happens if you happen to live where it's cold and believe it or not, despite global warming, much of the world is cold in their winter season. So I'm shocked, shocked that CNN has found out about all this. If you go to Climate Depot, you can read about it. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. The impact of a meal goes well beyond feeding our bodies. Because when people are fed, futures are nourished. Everyone deserves to live a full life. And with your help, together we can end hunger. Join the movement at feedingamerica.org slash act now. Discussing the politics of the new European populism. Pella Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back to the show, to the Pelineros Taylor Show, where truth resides. And we've got a fabulous guest with us today, or furious guest as he describes himself, Tim Rivers, who is the author of the American Gulag Chronicles, uh, who's a retired engineer, a Fortune 100 executive and writer. And in 2021, he began writing letters of support to January 6 prisoners and documenting their stories and their messages to supporters and the rest of America. So I've had looked through this book. Welcome, Tim, to our show. And um, tell us a little bit about how you got into writing this book. It's, it's a really fabulous documentary record of, of the suffering, but also the fortitude of these people who are jailed on completely bogus charges. Um, what, uh, a, I think yeah. it's historical. I, I agree with you. Um, 
I, I basically was a retired <clears throat> executive doing what most retired executives do, play a little golf, work around the property, you know, do things that are fun, go sailing. And then the um, I'd gotten involved a little bit in electioneering, you know, for the 2020 election like I had in 2016. And after that uh, horrendous morning of November 4th, when we all woke up in shock, um, I started getting a little bit involved in knocking on doors through Professor Clements. Maybe, you know, many of you know who he is. He's uh, the leader of the election integrity fight before Mike Lindell really took the lead. And um, what I found knocking on doors, checking voter rolls alarmed me so much that I, you know, I was just really upset. And then January 6th happened and you stay, the FBI started rounding these guys up. Um, and I, I stumbled on some people who were uh, using a support program to help these prisoners. It had been resurrected from the Bundys in Oregon back in the Bureau of Land Management fights. And it, it helped everybody find these guys because the Bureau of Prisons likes to move them around and make it difficult to find them and support them. And I wrote one letter, just one little letter. Um, and the four-page answer I got back really just kind of ended my previous life and started the life of Furious Tim. Um, mm -hmm. These people are being tortured by our government for their political and their religious and their social beliefs. And um, I think it's something most Americans can't stand still for. As um, as more people started writing these guys and realized that I was publishing their letters for America, they started sending their letters to me. And they just started accumulating until we had this, this incredible cache of stories, of testimonies, of art, of pictures. I mean, it's just, you've seen the book. It's, it's such an amazing collection of human emotion and human testimony that I thought uh, Americans needed to see that it needed to be preserved for the future. So if we survive, if the Republic survives this challenge, um, there will be a record of those who suffered the most for it. And that's what the two books are. Uh, Letters from Prison covers their first year in what we call the D.C. Gulag, which is the Department of Corrections in the District of Columbia. They're placed in an abandoned pod with uh, almost uninhabitable because of its facilities. And some of them have been kept there almost three years. Yeah, Tim, Tim, when you when you talk about torture, can you be what sort of how do you define torture? What sort of torture have they experienced? Uh, 20, 24, you know, 24 hours lockdown for somewhere. Some people have been in solitary 30 days. Uh, the Geneva Conventions define solitary confinement for more than, I think, a dozen days as inhuman. Um, their food is adulterated. They've been beaten. Some people have been beaten so severely. One man, uh, Ryan Samsel's lost vision and right eye has multiple concussions and traumatic brain injury. Um, we have had people who have had cancer in these cells who have been denied treatment who are now in, in four-stage cancers and been released, but they're dying. Uh, and we have people in prisons who suffer from celiac disease and all types of disorders, and they, they receive no medical care, uh, inadequate nutrition, substandard living. Um, I would I call that torture. But, but really, the, the abuse yeah. is the, the beatings and the abuse, the physical abuse, mm -hmm. the mental abuse, the psyop that is played on these people every day is is beyond anything we would do to anyone in Gitmo. I mean, I, I remember the uh, election. I remember January 6th well, and I'm talking from a European perspective. You know, I have an eye on it. I know, it, but I'm not as sort of 24-7 following the story. But what happened on January 6th didn't look like a, an insurrection, but rather, and when these guys were let in and walked around the Capitol building, they looked like tourists. I mean... The, the 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 crime of trespassing on the on the capital and taking snapshots seems so utterly disproportionate 
to these jail sentences they're getting am i missing something here no you're not I mean, you're what you're what you're not missing is the wall of tyranny that has been erected you know um very famous artist and 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 i'm sure britons don't understand him as well and europeans as frank zappa once said that when the cost of freedom got too much to the the, the illusion of freedom was too much to bear they would turn off the stage lights, remove all the furniture, pull back the curtain and move the scenery. And you would see the brick wall of control. And that's right. what we're looking at in America and, I, and in Great Britain and in the UK. Yeah. Um, the vice president of my nonprofit is is from Scotland. Uh, mm -hmm. Mike Sutherland, I mean, uh, Mark Sutherland, who's a documentary filmmaker. And mm -hmm. he, you know, he relates the destruction of the European Union. Um, mm -hmm through all these different outside sources and relates yeah. it to what's happening to America. And we see the death of freedom and liberty in the world. I mean, I said, it's amazing because all we get in our corporate media are the misdeeds of uh, our adversaries like Russia and China and Iran. And I won't excuse those, but I mean, I think with all these things, you need the full picture. And if these terrible things are going on in the US and it, after all, we live in the West, so we should, it's natural that we're more concerned about what's happening sure. here. And of course, for many of us, we still look up to America as a land of freedom. Um, so it's really shocking these stories that you're telling. Um, I mean, how how long are they? Have they? How many of them have been sentenced, and how many of them are, are yet to to go on before trial? Because trial is a essential part of our Western uh, democratic heritage, isn't it? The right to it, trial. It's a, it's a it's a huge number now. You will not believe how huge it is. We have over fourteen hundred people have been indicted. Um, I have close to 350 people in prisons and jails. Um, one of the men I adopted early on is an American war hero with three bronze stars for valor, um, a Green Beret, a Ranger, and 30-year veteran of armed forces. He's sitting in a Dallas-Fort Worth prison. In March, it will be three years without trial. Hmm. That's there really are over incredible. 300 yeah, there are over 350 people incarcerated right now, either awaiting trial or haven't been sentenced and serving their time. We also have literally hundreds of people who are on probation, house arrest, restraints. I mean, there are some people make them, they make them come to prison on the weekends and we'll put them in solitary confinement for the weekend. I mean, this is just, um, this is all about fear. I'm just going to say it right out. It's about inculcating fear. In, in the people who own the constitutional right to re, to ask their government to redress their grievance, to have their First Amendment and their Second Amendment rights protected, to expect the protections in their homes of their Fourth and Fifth Amendments. And this government and these agencies of this government are, are shredding our constitutional rights. And um, it, it's, a, it's a horrible yeah. thing. And if America yeah. does not correct it, then Europe, I, I believe we will all see liberty fall in the world. I think a lot of a lot of us in Europe, we, we 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 don't have the tradition of protest or freedom, perhaps as America does. The best of America, so we're looking to the best of America to to almost carry out the first revolt um, and and upset the system. Partly because you're the most powerful country, so what happens in the centre will inevitably drift to to the <laughs> vassal states. But also because you have this tradition of re rebellion and revolution. But I mean, and, and it's really shocking, though. I mean. I, I, I do actually read a lot of the alternative media, uh, but not enough. And uh, the corporate media haven't discussed your book, have they? Are you, no, no, are you being... No, and corporate publishers wouldn't touch it. We had to self-publish and self-fulfill. So, uh, but that's okay yeah. because that that's the um, that's the guerrilla warfare method of, of yeah. defeating this media wall that I'm sure is, exists in Europe, but certainly here in America. 
um, where yeah. you have these media moguls buying up the entire network so they control the messaging. Um, mm. And if you control the messaging, you control the narrative. And that's yeah. that's why these books were so important to produce because they mm. they defy the narrative. They mm. they expose the lie of the narrative. I also want to mm. point people, you know, we just made an amazing documentary. There are some, uh, I'm not the only person out here busting their chops to try and bring truth out about this. And there's some amazing people. David Sumrall, who's the president of my nonprofit that we formed, he runs a site called Stop Hate. Dot com and we just mm. produced a documentary or he did i can't take credit for any of it it's called j6 the true timeline and for the first mm. time you're going to see the puzzle this this incredibly broken puzzle that you've only seen the edge and one little piece in the middle in the right corner now you're going to see it all all in timeline mm. all in chronology so you can see mm. how it actually unfolded and it destroys the narrative of this mm. administration of the doj of the fbi um, and it reveals the lie. And believe me, it's been shadow banned. Uh, Twitter tried to kill it. But I urge everybody to go look for it. You can find it at StopHate.com. It's called J6, The True Timeline. There's a number of other documentaries out there mm. that through video reveal what happened that day. And like you said, mm. you know, peaceful people, you, you only, the, the, the administration wants to show you the disasters in the tunnel where the police were attacking mm. people. Literally, they started it. Mm. Um, but in the end, 99% of the people who were there that day were peaceful, orderly, and patriotic. Now you're running around arresting the grandmas who were sitting on the grass with their kids. Um, this hey, is Tim, beyond- I just sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Um, there's a, one of the guys I spoke to earlier uh, on another day said that you could actually talk about the FBI and the CIA as sort of Obama's secret police. Mm. So it's this kind of woke attitude that really they're, they're taught to hate traditional American culture and I guess whites or something. Do you think there's some of that that's behind this mass incarceration? The cultural, the cultural war, yes. If you want to call it a cultural war, I will say yeah. yes, it is behind it. Right. Um, right. And, and I think that's dangerous because people like you and I who try to bring truth when we run afoul of this new cultural narrative, we're being, uh, you know, we're being eliminated. Look how many journalists were arrested for January 6th had legitimate reasons to be there. Mm. How many mm. people that have been reporting it, like Steve Baker, who's about to be, has to report today, they told him to show up in sandals and shorts. Well, that's a little intimidation method. What they're trying to tell you is they're going to give you a cavity search um, mm -hmm. for a misdemeanor, for a misdemeanor that most yeah. of us would receive a ticket for. So yeah, yeah. this is um, this is a cultural uh, battle and it's waged against those of the right and uh, the Judeo-Christian ethics. Uh, Tim, do, do you think um, from your letters that you've been reading, I mean, you, you're getting quite a, good, a lot of good intelligence, as we say in the business, of what oh. really happened. Do you get the feeling that there were agents provocateurs from the FBI? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah there are um, many of the people, in fact, three of the people that my wife and I adopted in this program were all veterans, and two of them are Special Forces veterans. And, um, you know, they, they recognize the type of infiltrators that are there. They recognize the methodologies, the dress, the behavior of the people that did not belong in that crowd that day. And you see other examples. I'm sure everybody's heard of Ray Epps and a number of cadre that were working in synchronicity with him that, you know, accused. And yet he was one of the few people that received just a, a few misdemeanor charges and then got a, a, a misdemeanor probation, which was then, mm. uh, re, you know, thrown away. He didn't have to serve any time, do anything. And so you got to wonder, yeah, provocateurs, absolutely. Uh, uh, Mr. Mm -hmm. Higgins has exposed what we call ghost buses. 
uh, white mm -hmm. buses with no markings that showed up full of uh, agents dressed in black and provocateurs. We've got pictures of people changing into MAGA clothing during the event from their black block clothing. And there's just, there's too many questions to say this is cut and dry. Well, I mean, the worrying thing is what will they do now? I mean, they, they feel that because once the story unravels, they'll all be on the hook. I mean, if we have a, a complete sort of change of government, you know, all these people who are persecuting us might end up persecuting, persecuted themselves and the same true of the UK. Um, so are they going to get desperate and panic if it looks like Trump is winning? I mean, what sort of things are they going to think up, you know, uh, either before or after the election? And is the MAGA movement prepared for this? I mean, you've had three or four years now to avoid it happening again. I think they've already started panicking, if you ask me. I mean, I, I just watched uh, while we were waiting in the green room, I was just watching uh, Mr. Austin get grilled by Matt Gates. Uh, and, and Matt Gates is a very big, he, he's like a firebrand in our House of Representatives. And Mr. Austin is our Secretary of Defense, who disappeared for about three or four days with a medical illness and didn't tell anybody. Um, and so, you know, we have a lot of questions about um, misbehavior, lack of, of, uh, of principles, breaking your oath of office. I mean, we are basically in a period of time where I, I believe this, the other side of this cultural battle is all in because they realize that they've gone so far that there's no turning back. Because if, if we now reverse the tide, People are going to get hung for, for, for treason. I'm just going to say it right out. I believe treason has been committed in the highest levels of authority in this country. Deliberate treason. And I, mean, I believe what, that what there's, there's, only one, there's only one penalty for treason, for high treason. It's amazing because what you're describing, I mean, and of course, I, I assume that you, on top of this J6, overreached by by the government and uh, psyops and all the rest of it uh, that the u.s election was stolen you know and that's why people were there uh, uh, this catalog of misdeeds isn't that almost like the worst event in modern u.s history i mean it, it's like puts watergate in the in the shade you know um so but of course the mainstream media haven't covered it as such so we're seeing an incredible divergence of narratives here between a, a a media that has completely departed from its role of telling the truth as it is, uh, and uh, this uh, this underground movement, which is actually persecuted and trying to tell the truth, you know. I, I think we've I think we've managed to tell a lot of truth. Now, mainstream media will never touch it, but I'm going to say something right now. We see this administration here in the United States um, focusing on pressure on journalism. They want to shut journalists who talk uh, against their narrative up, and they're doing it through intimidation. And look at Steve Baker, who has to appear today uh, again to be arrested by the FBI very publicly, you know, extreme, making a circus out of it. Um, but I got news for you. The mainstream media thinks they're safe. They think that because it's only happening to left-wing journalists and to people who are reporting against the culture that they can stand free in what's to come. But I got news for you. You are not safe. You are only delaying the inevitable because eventually you'll say something they don't like either. And then they'll come for you. And right, that's, that's one of the brilliant. Things. Yeah. Sorry, Tim, we've that's got to interrupt that. That's exactly what they said about the opposition to the Nazis. You know, you've got to act now or they'll come for you later. So there's no that's reward right. in being quiet. Tim Rivers, thank you very much. You've uh, written a fantastic book about the American Gulag Chronicles about the prisoners who've been unjustly held 
for their rebellion in January 6th, which was actually just a peaceful march. It's one of the most shocking shows I've ever had, and I can highly recommend that you listen to this on podcast if you're not listening to it live, and get all the links that Tim has talked about and follow this story, and we will certainly return to it. Thank you very much. This is TNT Radio.